Excited you're here with us tonight. It's going to be a great night. We're not here to just watch something. This is not entertainment. We're here to engage in the battle of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. I hope that's why you're here tonight. That's why the Holy Spirit's here tonight. I tell you, it's not a show. I want to welcome some of our special guests from South Korea tonight are in the house. Pastor Zhang, thank you so much. And Melchizedek Prayer House team, we bless you. Thank you for being here. We've got lots of other countries joining us online, including countries. Panama is with us tonight in Ecuador. And then I do know that one of our friends is in Qatar tonight. I'm not going to say who you are. I know you're watching. I just saw it on the list that popped up. So bless you. In uh, all that you're doing in Qatar today, this is a great time. Listen, we're going to dive into the Word for a few minutes tonight. If you want to get ahead of me, turn to the book of John, chapter 1. Book of John, chapter 1. And all of this is leading us toward a great night of ministry of, in prayer, because as you heard in the announcements, at 7 to 8 o'clock tonight, all of us are invited to join together for these uh, the first day of the three days of fasting, prayer, and intercession on repentance right here in the lobby. We've made it super convenient for you. Basically, you walk straight up the stairs and boom, there's the prayer team ready to go. So this way you can't say I got lost. I couldn't find it, Pastor. I don't know what happened. I, was, I meant to go to prayer. And somehow along the way, I, I couldn't find it. No, it's right there. Pretty much, if you can get out of the building, you can go pray tonight. That's how convenient we've made it. Of course, the youth and young adults, you're all the way up in the summit tonight with, uh, with Stefano. And speaking of Stefano, those of you that know him, he's right here on the keys, right? This is Stefano, and he's on the Israelities podcast. He's our producer and host. Well, we had a great story from Stefano this week because he got engaged to be married. We love to celebrate marriages here. We love to celebrate babies. Let's do it in that order, marriages then babies. But you might say, well, that's great, Pastor Chad. You're celebrating Stefano, but who is he engaged to? He is engaged to our own Joanna. <laughs> Joanna is one of our deaconesses here at, at, at King of Kings. She also leads our online Kings Highway community group. But overall, in the network of the King of Kings family, Joanna serves as our CFO. So what was funny, there was a little while where uh, Joanna was Stefano's boss. That was, that was funny. So, you know, right early in counseling, we had to deal with that. And uh, uh, pretty soon, just to make sure that there's a smooth marriage, she will not be his boss. We're shifting him just to make sure it's clean at home. You know what I'm saying? That's what we do here for you. We present good counseling. And part of it is maybe your wife is not your boss. I don't know. Maybe she is. Maybe she's not. In this case, she's not going to be. But welcome, Mazal Tov, to both of you guys. We bless you. I know the wedding is coming up later this summer. We'll let you guys announce that. Uh, but we're excited for you. And anybody else uh, in the community, hopefully you are making progress in your marriage as well. So many good things. Hallelujah. We're going to start a brand new series tonight, and th this is going to be interesting because um, as we get started, I want to first give you a quick overview of the four Gospels, the Bezalot, right? In the, we say it in Hebrew, um, the Gospel stories, and uh, what I want to say as we get started is we will be using the classical tradition of authorship 
for these four gospels found in the New Testament, but at the same time, we fully understand that in some modern scholastic circles, there are variations on certainty of who the authors were, okay? But we're gonna use the classical understanding even though we understand that a minority uh, of dissent says maybe somebody else wrote a few of these gospels, okay? So stick with us through that. That's not necessarily the main point. I just wanted you to know that I knew that so that I don't have to get emails about that. I want you to focus on the word tonight. Now, as we start looking at the four gospels, we're gonna start with Mark. And you're gonna say, but pastor, in my Bible, it starts with Matthew. I understand that as well. I don't need any emails on that. I got it. Your, your Bible probably starts with Matthew, but it's actually Mark, historically, that is cited as writing first. And a lot of people even point to this connection that, that Mark was written by someone you know in the Bible named John Mark. And that John Mark was a, a teammate of Paul for a time and then Barnabas for a time, but also of Peter. And that it's possible that John Mark was writing Peter's gospel. Whether Peter quoted it to him or he collected the sermons or listened and wrote down notes of Peter as they traveled together, we don't know exactly how he compiled it, but it could be that John Mark is writing Peter's gospel. We put them together in Acts chapter 12, verse 11. Look at this. Then Peter came to himself. Remember, Peter was miraculously set free from prison. It says, then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Miriam, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So this places John, Mark, and Peter together for a time. When he got out of prison, he went to John Mark's house. So we know they had a deep relationship. We also see them together again in 1 Peter chapter 5, 13. It says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. So again, we have Peter and John Mark having a, a really in-depth relationship over a long period of time. It could be that the gospel of Mark is John Mark writing Peter's gospel. Now, scholars are not unified on this, you know, whether John Mark is the author or not. There's several Johns throughout the Bible, as, as, as you know. Um, but we do find three very early Christian fathers, uh, fathers of faith, who pointed at John Mark and said, we believe he's the most likely. Uh, Papias was in, uh, he's a bishop in Heropolis, which is now located in modern Turkey. And he authored this work called the Exposition of Dominical Oracles in 120 A.D., and it was in his oracle that he said it was John Mark writing on behalf of Peter. So that's a pretty early description, right? If you're saying how many decades after, well, it's believed that, that John Mark wrote or the gospel of Mark was written between 55 and 70 AD. But before all the way through 70 AD, because he doesn't mention the, the destruction of the temple yet. So it's probably between 55 and 70 and then as early as 120, you have another Christian father says it was John Mark. So that's pretty early on as a confirmation. But there's others. Irenaeus writes in 185 that he believes it was John Mark also. And then Eusebius in 325 quotes Papias and he says 
I believe it was uh, also John Mark on behalf of Peter. So we're going to go with that as the classical tradition. Seemingly, this was the first gospel written. And then you get the book of Matthew. Now, Matthew was a disciple of Yeshua. We know he's a tax collector. He was one of the 12. And he wrote the second gospel. But it seems like he used Mark's gospel as a structural foundation. But what he adds to that is he adds the destruction of the temple. He mentions that. So it's most likely that Matthew writes after Mark, but after the destruction of the temple. That's why he can bring that into his writing. So now it helps the timeline fill out a little bit more. What's unique about Matthew is what he emphasizes. Matthew writes and has the most quotes from the Tanakh. Of all the gospel writers, Matthew quotes the most from the Old Testament. That tells us a little bit about his education. This could indicate that he was from a more religious family or that he was uh, interested in the intersections between Yeshua and the Tanakh and the prophets. Matthew also has the most references toward Jewish tradition and Jewish customs and Jewish holidays. So this tells you a little bit more about who Matthew is. He's, he's emphasizing things that he's familiar with or he's interested in, and what he's interested in is Jewish life. He's interested in the connection with the Tanakh. He's very orderly, and that might come from his profession as a tax collector. You got to think of Matthew and his genealogies because he's, he's used to writing lists and columns. And a person who's very interested in Jewish tradition and lists and columns as a gifting makes a lot of sense where he would hit the genealogies pretty hard. And so we get a little glimpse into, into Matthew's life. Now, Luke, we know Luke was a doctor. Luke was not one of the original 12, but many scholars put his gospel writing between 80 and 90 AD. So this means he's after Matthew, he's after Mark, he's after the destruction of the temple, but it's before the writing of the book of Acts, right? So you have to kind of sandwich Luke in where Luke would go. So now it looks like it goes in this order. It goes Mark, Matthew, then Luke in terms of who wrote first. Now, probably uh, Luke also emphasized things in his gospel. Did you know that in the gospel of Luke, he mentions the most healings and supernatural miracles? Well, that, that does make sense to us because Luke was a doctor. So every time he heard of or he saw a miracle, it probably was of great importance to him. So he would write it down. Just like when Matthew, coming from a more religious Jewish family, when he saw a Jewish custom, he would write that down. It makes sense based on who they are and their backgrounds. So if you want to study the Jewish roots of the New Testament and Yeshua's life, go to Matthew. If you want to study the origins of the first structure, go to Mark. If you want to hear a little bit more about the supernatural move, go to Luke, right? It all makes sense. Each has a specific and unique perspective. But these three gospels all use Mark as the main structure. And because of that, you're going to hear this terminology from time to time. You're going to hear the terminology, the synoptic gospels. They're all in focus of what Mark had already written. You say, but Pastor Chad, you told us to turn to the book of John. Why are we talking about all these other fellas? Well, John does not use Mark as a structure. Therefore, he's not part of the synoptic gospel series. He doesn't use them as a main reference point. So that means that John's writings are going to be very unique from their own perspective. So when you start to line up, you might have, you can look this up online. You can see charts 
of how uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have similar stories and when they come in the storyline and they're, they're pretty well lined up and then you see John is like off by himself. And there's a reason for that. Because John also appears to have waited the longest to write his gospel, probably indicating that he was older by the time he wrote everything down. We position John on the timeline between 90 and 100 AD. So this is quite a bit later than all the other gospel writers. So John being older, waiting the longest, not using Mark as a reference, means the book of John is very unique. And so we've entitled this series, Uniquely John. And we're going to focus on areas that John felt was very important to emphasize that the other gospel writers did not necessarily emphasize. Why would we do that? Because John has waited longer. He has ministered more. He has seen more. He's experienced life more, and he's experienced the kingdom impact on the earth more than the other guys when they wrote. And he's had a chance to read all of their writings which means John gets a chance to fill in the gaps for what he thinks the other authors might have missed. Now, that's a good perspective to write from. On the one hand, you could say it's a little bit more of a mature position. And on the other hand, you can say it's, it's, the, it's the gospel that rounds everything out. It's making sure it fills in all of the other gaps that he feels might have been missed. What did he choose to emphasize we want to focus on these passages and these accounts in this series called Uniquely John. Now, if a story can be found in all of the Gospels, probably we're not going to stop and spend much time on that because you can get more details from the other Gospel writers. There may be a time uh, or two where we do compare the stories because in comparing the stories, we might find out something that John put in the story that the other ones had left out. So this is what we're going to do over the next several weeks. It's going to be a fun series. Hopefully, you'll join us in the study. So where should we begin? Well, obviously, in the beginning. John chapter 1. You might say, I'm curious, what did John start with? Well, first, let's look at the other gospel writers. What did they start with? Matthew. He begins his gospel with the genealogy of Yeshua from Abraham through David and all the way to Joseph and Miriam. Why? Because he comes from a religious background, that's very important to him, and he's probably very familiar with all of the genealogical lists that were kept safe at the temple. That's where you kept them, by the way. Remember, when you go to have your son circumcised or you have the mom purified on day 40 or day 60, depending on boy or girl, they have to register the name of the baby with the family, with the clan, with the tribe, and it was at the temple where all of these records were kept. That's why it was such a devastating loss when the temple was destroyed and we lost all the family lines. God will restore those, amen. But Matthew starts with this list. The genealogy is important to him. He writes about the relationship of, of Yosef and Miriam, Joseph and Mary, and the miracle conception and the birth of Yeshua. So that's kind of where he starts. He goes genealogy, and then he goes the miracle conception, birth of Yeshua. That's Matthew. Well, Mark begins his gospel with a prophecy. A little bit different than Matthew. He begins with the prophecy. It's actually two prophecies, one from Malachi and one from Isaiah. 
What's interesting about it is he only mentions Isaiah's name, but he actually quotes two different prophets. Mark chapter one, verse two and three. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. So that's the prophecy Mark starts with. And of course, the person that he's talking about that would prepare the way is John. John the immerser, not John the gospel writer. Not John Mark. A lot of Johns going on. Be careful. This John he's talking about is John the Immerser. This is the cousin of Yeshua, the one who was immersing people in water all throughout Israel, especially at the Jordan. That's who he's talking about will prepare the way. So he connects that prophecy with John. And then as early as verse number nine, so I'm talking about Mark 1 verse 9, Yeshua is introduced already into his earthly ministry. So, so Mark jumps right into the ministry. Not a lot of background there. Well, Luke begins his gospel by telling the story of the birth of John, the immerser, the cousin of Yeshua, and his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Then he goes into the birth of Yeshua and includes the story of Miriam and Joseph as well. But he doesn't include a genealogy. He doesn't necessarily include much about the miraculous birth of John or the story of Yeshua's birth. He's, he's looking at these things, but not the genealogy. So that's what the other writers jump into. But what does John jump into from the beginning? What is uniquely John where he says, I've got all of this experience, all of this history. I've read your books. I like how you started your books, but I think I'm going to start a different way. And we're going to read what John felt was the most important thing to start with. John chapter one, the first three verses. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that was made. Ah, he doesn't feel like genealogy is the most important yet. He doesn't feel like the story of Zechariah and Elisheva and John and Miriam and Yosef and Yeshua and the birth. He's like, we'll get to that. The most important thing I can tell you right off the bat is that this Yeshua we're talking about is the creator of the universe. This Yeshua we're talking about is God himself. We'll get to the stories. We'll get to the human part. But more important than the human part is the God part. Now, I've always taught you at King of Kings, listen, in God's original perfect will and design, we were not created to be saved, right? We were only saved because we deviated from the path of righteousness and we sinned, and therefore then we needed to be saved. But in God's original design of creation in the Garden of Eden, we weren't created to be saved. He didn't say, be fruitful, multiply, sin a whole bunch so I can come and save you. We were saved as a detour correction from where we were headed. So even though we, we must have, the pinnacle of creation redemption is the story of Yeshua, but before we needed him as savior, we already had him as creator God and father. And that's what John felt like was the most important place to start with. He makes it clear. 
just in case the other authors, somehow you missed it and it wasn't as clear in the other writings. He wants you to know that this Yeshua is God. He created all things and he's been there before all things. Now you're gonna find out in this first chapter that the theme of being ahead of everything else is very important to John. I don't know why, but he repeats it four different times in this first chapter, and I'm gonna walk you through those. So let me give you our key phrase of tonight as we, we launch into this. While others introduce the importance of Yeshua's bloodline and genealogy or his connection to the prophetic scriptures, John uniquely introduces Yeshua as God and creator, and he wants this emphasis front and center. Now, in describing Yeshua as God, the creator, and placing him at the center of the creation of all things, John is setting him on the timeline before everything else existed. The idea of Yeshua being before others is important to John, as I mentioned. And in fact, if John wrote Revelation, like we believe he did from the classical tradition, you will see a theme coming out. Let me read this to you from Revelation chapter 1. Verse 14 and following. He's talking about Yeshua. He's describing what he sees when he sees Yeshua in the Revelation. And he says, The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of hell and death and Hades. So now there's no question who John saw. You say, well, I don't know. Was he talking about a different version of God? Was he talking about a different expression of God? No, it's Yeshua, because Yeshua says, hey, just to make it clear, I was dead, and now I'm alive. So I'm Yeshua, that's me, the one you know, and by the way, I was the first before all things. This is important to John. John hits that theme over and over because I think he's, he's wanting us to make sure that we set the foundation right for everything else we're going to learn about Yeshua. He's a great rabbi. He's a prophet. He's the savior. He's a healer. He's a provider. He's a redeemer. He's a reconciler. He's all these wonderful things. But before he was all of that, he was creator God. And John needs us to understand that. I am the first and the last. I was dead. I am alive. But I also like this passage from Revelation 1 because it says about Yeshua, you might be thinking that I might want to focus on his hair, but I don't want to focus on his hair. I want to focus on his shining like brilliance. And I like that because Remember, we talk about the creation story that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and it says, let there be light and there was light. But the sun wasn't created until day number four. 
So the light that we saw at creation when Yeshua showed up was the own brilliance from his face. That's what it says right here. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Right? Uh, this, his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. That is what happened on creation day number one. Yeshua basically showed up to a dark world covered in water and darkness. And when his face showed up, it shone like the sun. And that's where we get that phrase, let there be light. It wasn't from the sun that was created in the sky. That was later. And we love this passage because it links us to Yeshua being right there at the beginning of creation, him being ahead of all things. And this kind of description of Yeshua in the future seems to match the description also that Daniel had from his vision of Yeshua that he saw in the past. So you see a, a present Yeshua, the one John knew on earth. You see a future Yeshua, the one John saw in the Revelation. And then you see the vision of what Daniel saw in the past of Yeshua being in the future. I feel like you can make a movie about that. Daniel chapter seven, verse nine. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. Woo. That's a good visual right there. The ancient of days. Remember, he called himself the first and the last. I was there at the beginning. I'm the one that shone light into the universe. You see, the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. Oh, we've heard that before. The hair on his head was like white like wool. Well, we've heard that before. So it's got to be the same one. And his throne was flaming with fire. We've heard that before. Notice the comparison. that we're making here between what John saw and what Daniel saw and how closely they are related to seeing Yeshua. And in both testaments about him, what does Yeshua say about himself? It's one thing if John has an emphasis, but what does Yeshua emphasize about himself? He says, I am the first. That's what I want to emphasize. When you meet me, I want you to know that I am the first. When you meet me, I want you to know that I am the ancient of days. And because Yeshua introduced himself that way, I think that's why John introduced Yeshua that way. He was the first. He was the creator. Why would I introduce him differently than he would introduce himself? And I think that was the motive of why John did this. We continue with this theme of being before everyone else and seeing ahead of everyone else. And we look at the writing of John, the disciple, is now going to quote John the Immerser from his earthly ministry. And look what he says here, John 1, 15. So I'm still in our main text, John chapter 1, verse 15. It says, John testifies concerning Yeshua, and he cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, and he has surpassed me because he was before me. Do you understand? That when John the Baptist, I'm calling him John the Immerser for Jewish sensitive language. Don't want you to get confused about who I was talking about. When the other John introduces Yeshua, how does he introduce him? He says, this is the great one. This is the Lamb of God. He'll take away the sin of the world. 
He will surpass me because he was before me. Now on earth, that's not true, right? We go back to Matthew's genealogy. We go back to the timeline of Mark and Luke. We find out that John, the cousin of Yeshua, was actually born six months before Yeshua. So from an earthly physical perspective, that's not true. So he's clearly not talking about them as a babies. What John is talking about is Yeshua was the ancient of days. He's the first and the last. I'm here now and he was before me. And you can see that now Yeshua introduces himself that way. John the disciple introduces him that way. And John the immerser introduces him that way. Something about this God wants you to know tonight. I was before all things. I was before the prophets. I was before the fathers and mothers. I was before the Torah. I was before the earth. I was before the sun. I was before John. I was before the temple. I'm the ancient of days, the first and the last, alpha and omega. I sit on the throne. So when you need something, come to me. Because I was here before all of it was created. I can fix whatever you need fixing in your life. I created it. You messed it up. But I can fix it. The ancient of days. The testimony repeats itself over and over. And now it seems like both Johns see this deity as a paramount issue, and it puts Yeshua properly on the timeline before all things, before Israel itself. We continue in the main text, John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You say, that sounds confusing, Pastor Chad. You said God like three times there. How did that work? I thought there was only one God. Well, let me be very clear. There is only one God. So if you're listening tonight, in the house, online, if you're watching on the archives, especially if you're in the religious Jewish community, and you have ever heard that people that believe in Yeshua believe in three gods, we do not. I'm setting you straight. That's a lie. We do not believe in three gods. So from now on, when a rabbi tells you that messianic believers are heretics because we believe in three gods, I'm telling you it is false. It is a lie. It is a trick. We do not believe in three gods. We believe in one God, just like the Shema says. But we also realize from the Tanakh that that one God can show up in various forms and at various times whenever he wants to. Sometimes it's a voice from heaven. Sometimes it's a shining face at creation. Sometimes it's the spirit that hovers over the water and you say, where do you get this three expressions of God from Genesis chapter one, verse one? The voice that creates the sun in his brilliance that brings light and the spirit of God hovers over the water. It's in the beginning. We didn't create this. We didn't invent this. This is from the Torah itself. And in this verse where it says that Yeshua on earth, his role is to do what? Is to make God known to us. To make God known to us. 
You say, I thought he was God. He is God. That's why he can make him known to us. The Bible even says in other passages, it says that he's the exact representation of the Father. It's hard to be the exact representation if you're not God. Now, you can get pretty close. And I don't want you to get confused in that triune nature of God and, and you're trying to understand, well, how does that thing work? And I always like to remind you, be encouraged that when you don't quite grasp how the triune nature of God works with the Father, Son, and Spirit, and fire, and wind, and you don't understand all that, how can God do all of that and still be one God? My encouragement is this. You should be glad there's no one else like him. If there was someone else like him that we could say, oh, it's just like that, then it wouldn't be so special that he's God. But the fact that there is no one else like him to the point that we can't even give you a good comparison on earth, that actually encourages me that I serve a God unlike anything else. But it's one God, not three gods. And we're still seeing ahead. The theme of being before everyone else and everything else continues in John's writings, especially here in the first chapter, and I'm still in chapter one. We see that even John the Immerser is quoted a second time because remember he said, he will surpass me because he was before me. Remember that? Well, he goes on to say a little bit more, same chapter, John 1, verse 32. Stefano, why don't you come? It says, then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on Yeshua. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to immerse with water told me, the man on whom you will see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who you will immerse with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. What is he saying? Well, John the disciple is quoting John the Immerser about when he saw Yeshua. And he said, when I first saw him, all I could see was he's my cousin. I remember us playing together. I remember us enjoying summer break from school, having Shabbat dinners together, our parents getting together, so much fun. And when he came walking toward me, I thought, there's, there's cousin Yeshua, welcome. I didn't know who he was. And then the Holy Spirit told me ahead of time, he told me I would see something before, and the Holy Spirit came and said, I will land on him and you will know who it is. This concept John wants you to see is your confidence can be in Yeshua because he was before everything. And that he was revealing himself before everything. And that everything we see on the earth, in the seasons, in the Torah, in the prophets, in the nation of Israel, all of that is really just pointing at him. It's all a, a road marker to say, look at the one who is your God and Father and Creator and your Savior. Look at him. And maybe you didn't catch it when you read the Torah, so I'm going to give you the temple. And maybe you didn't catch it when you read the temple, read about the temple. I'm going to give you the prophets. And maybe you didn't even catch it with the, the Torah, the temple, and the prophets. I'm going to send him to you. Maybe you'll catch it. God, your creator, your savior. And we'll have this one last example. 
Same chapter, John 1. Remember, it's important to John, verse 43. Yeshua is starting to collect the disciples, and look, look what he says. He says, the next day Yeshua decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. It's Yeshua from Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? My apologies if you were born in Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Well, come and see, said Philip. And when Yeshua saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you even know me? Nathanael asked. Clearly they've never met. How do you even know me? Yeshua answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. Before Philip called you, I saw you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God and you are the king of Israel. Wow. It's so important that John gets this across to us tonight. Nathanael, I've, you've never met me in the flesh, but son, I've seen you from the creation of the world. And that one moment, what is it? How many words is that? A handful of words. Nathaniel meets a stranger and the stranger says, I saw you. And he gives his life to Yeshua on the spot. You, Rabbi, are the king of Israel. Because you saw me. Because you were before John. In the temple and Israel and the prophets and the patriarchs, the earth itself. Oh, you are the first and the last. The Alpha Omega, you are the Ancient of Days. And that is what John is trying to get across to us uniquely. He's not criticizing the other gospel writers, but what he's saying is, I wanna introduce him the way he introduced himself, the first and the last. Throughout this series, we're gonna to continue to see what John found and the perspective that he gave writing a little bit later, a little bit older, a little bit longer, a little bit more mature. And we're going to find some nuggets of gold in his gospel. Let me pray for you tonight. Father, please help this message to sink in. We are so grateful that you are our Savior, Yeshua, that you are God in the flesh, come to save us our redeemer, our cleanser, our forgiver. As John said, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are so grateful. But the only reason that you are eligible to be those things is because you are alpha and omega first. You created us, giving you the authority to be our leader and our king, our father. And the next time that we're faced with trial and tribulation, challenges and pain, disappointments and sin temptation, let us remember, Yeshua, who you are and how long you have been that. 
that we are not intimidated by the schemes of the evil one in this temporary world, this temporary flesh, but we will remember the eternal kingdom of God that existed long before any of the things we see. We embrace Yeshua, that your face was shining as bright as the sun when John saw you because he saw you in a similar form when you introduced yourself at the creation of the world and you said, let there be light and your face shone and gave the universe light. You are the light of the world. We praise you and thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen.